You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's open up to Psalm 113. This morning, we are going to start a series called The Prince from the Ashes, based on this very psalm, on Psalm 113. And this has been a message brewing in my heart for well over a year, you know, that culminated in me writing this book, A Prince from the Ashes, which is available this morning. There's a few dozen left. I encourage you to grab one if you haven't yet. Uh, it's also available on Kindle online. The audio, the audible version is struggling to come out, but uh, we're just working through some technical difficulties. Um, but it will also be available for those that like the audio version. But please grab a copy if you haven't already. Um, after we're, we're done with these ones that are left, we probably won't order more. So right now anyways, so please grab one. But this morning, I want to start this series as we dive into exploring the love of God, exploring the extravagant love of God that applies to not just Sunday mornings, but every day of your life and every nook and cranny of your heart. And that's why I'm so passionate about this message is because as you begin to embrace and open up your heart to the love of God, you'll begin to realize that the gospel cannot be confined just to Sunday mornings. It has to be unleashed into every aspect of your life. In its proper context, it has to be unleashed in every aspect of your life. And so I'm so passionate about people coming alive to that. And so we're going to be unpacking the love of God as much as we can. We're going to be beginning this journey together of, of understanding the love of God in a greater way over the next few weeks. There's two words that we're going to be coming back to week after week after week, and it's these two words, gospel identity. The identity purchased for you in the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going to be referring to that and unpacking our gospel identity week after week after week over the next few weeks. But all of that really um, comprised or packaged under the understanding of God's rescue story, that God has been redeeming a people for himself to come into relationship with him. And we have to understand the greater picture, the bigger picture of God's rescue story. I believe there is this innate desire in our hearts to understand the bigger picture, to understand the greater story that's being written and I want to tell you, this story of you know, God's rescue story is not just a story for the past, but it's a story being written presently, and it, it's a story being written in the, in the days to come, in the future. And you and I were a part of it. And I believe there is this human desire to want to know the story and to be a part of the story. We have uh, four young kids in our home, and bedtimes oftentimes are, are an interesting you know, hour, hour and a half ordeal. Young parents are, are feeling the pain with me. They, they understand it. But we've also tried to embrace those 45 to 60 minutes of putting our kids to bed uh, to be some of those. We've tried to embrace them as a valuable, um, strategic time to connect with our kids. We found that oftentimes some of the best conversations, best times of prayer have come at, the bed, at, at that time, uh, 45 to 60 minutes before bedtime. My two youngest girls, they're five and seven, they share a room together, and they've kind of crafted into their bedtime uh, routine story times with dad. And, uh, and I probably have to rethink my strategy a little bit because what I've found is they really love the stories that are really thrilling, really suspenseful, have a lot of adventure in them, and at the end of them, they're always more amped up than when we started. So it's not the best lead-in to, lead to bedtime. But, but nonetheless, I have found this 
this childlike desire in them to want to understand the story and hear the story and and feel that they are part of the story. And I actually don't believe we ever graduate from that. We ever, that never leaves us. I believe as, as humans, God has put this, this fingerprint of purpose upon us that wants to understand the greater story, the greater narrative. And so there is a story spoken over humanity through the person of Jesus Christ, being crafted, being designed, being written. And this story doesn't just speak to your past, it speaks to your future as well. It speaks to both. It speaks to who you used to be. And it also speaks about your destiny and where you're going. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to be attuned. We need to be aware. We need to be learners. We need to be students of this story and know our purchased identity in Jesus in this rescue story. It's a wildly extravagant love that's revealed in this redemptive story. And it reveals the the depths of our brokenness and also the heights of God's goodness. And what happens as followers of Jesus, when we begin to open up our hearts to God's love in this way, is what it does is unleashes a life of intimacy with God and purpose upon our life. You'll realize every day as you wake up, you have an opportunity to walk in relationship, in deeper and greater relationship with God. So I call intimacy with God. Every day when you wake up, you'll you'll realize you have a purpose upon your life as you immerse yourselves in the love of God, that you're not an accident. You're not put here by accident. You're not forgotten. Instead, God has put a purpose upon your life. And so those, those two things just become unleashed in your life when you open up your heart to the love of God. So we need to know the story. And Psalm 113 talks about this, this radical, extravagant rescue story in beautiful terms This has been something that's been ruminating my heart for for quite some time. So I want us to unpack it this morning. I think along those lines of the bigger story, I think it's really fascinating right now. I just heard this last week that number one on the podcast iTunes uh, store list is a podcast called The Life, or sorry, uh, A Year in the Bible podcast, which is a reading through the entire Bible in a year on a podcast. It's the first time ever that a religious or Bible-based podcast has been number one on the charts. I think it's a sign of the times that at the same time our our news and entertainment ratings are tanking, at the very same time, resources like this that are drawing people to the, the, the larger story, the larger redemptive story, are skyrocketing. I just think it's interesting sign of the times. I believe there's innate desire in us um, to see past our brokenness and our anxiety, the brokenness and chaos around us and understand the greater story that's obviously revealed here in scripture. Let's read Psalm 113. Actually, before we read, let's pray because we're really setting ourselves up for the next number of weeks and I want our hearts to be ready. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your generosity towards us. And Lord, I pray over every individual here, those even listening online, I pray right now in your mighty name for a tenderness, for a humility to receive from you. Those that feel forgotten, those that feel rejected, those that feel broken or stuck, those that feel too dirty or too too sinful, I pray the love of God would pierce through all of that as they come face to face with you and your goodness. You draw us to yourself in a greater way. And I pray that 
what would be unleashed in our church is a revival of intimacy with God and purpose and just divine destiny that's placed upon every single child of God. I pray it in your mighty name, amen. So let's read Psalm 113 just to give you context. Psalm 113 starts a group of psalms that for the Jewish people, they would, they would use during the time of Passover in the Jewish calendar. And specifically, Psalm 113 and Psalm 114 would, would start the week of Passover um, with, with this psalm, really setting their sights, setting their gaze on God's larger story. If you, if you um, have been around the Bible a little bit, maybe you understand that Passover was meant to ground the people of God, the Jewish people, in the bigger story, God's bigger rescue story, that God rescued them from the powers of Egypt through the 10 plagues, and then also led them through the Red Sea. And every year built into their rhythm, into their annual rhythm, was this time to stop and reflect and set their gaze on the larger story. Now for all the generations, you know, after the time of Moses, had they, had they been the ones that were captive in, in Egypt? No. Were they the ones who walked through the Red Sea? No. But they were grafted into that story. And so the time of Passover was meant to allow them to stop and reflect the larger story that they are in the midst of. And that story is still being written. It's God's beautiful rescue story. And so that really sets the stage for us. It's, it's the beginning of this time in the annual calendar, the Jewish calendar, to stop and reflect on the larger redemptive story. And so this is what it says, verse one. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. So it's praise is the gateway to properly understanding who God is and who we are in light of who he is. Praise is the doorway or the gateway into that. And that's how they start. That's how they start the week off. We're gonna start with praise. It's not by accident. It's by design that we start with praise and worship. It, sets our, it takes our gaze off ourselves and our own busyness, our own lives, and it places them properly on God. And so the psalmist here says, praise the Lord. And then he commands servants of the Lord. You consider yourself a servant of the Lord. Praise him. Praise the name of the Lord. And the word he uses is this Hebrew word, halal. There are different Hebrew words that we translate to the English word praise. But he uses the word halal. And halal is a word that means to cheer, to brag, to shout with joy and fear at the excellence and the greatness of God. To exalt the greatness and the excellence of God. It means all those things. So to praise in this way, to halal, is not a, you know, we're sticking our hands in our pocket and we're just kind of going through the motions, kind of a mental ascent. No, to halal means to muster up from our gut the proper uh, praise and adoration and love for God, to cheer for God, to brag on the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of God. That's what halal is. Beyond your feelings, Beyond whether you feel like it or not, or emotionally you feel, feel like you're there yet, you just begin to praise him. Oh, servant to the Lord, praise the Lord. Why? Because he's worthy. From the rising of the sun to the setting, it's always a good time to praise God, to worship him every single day. And so praise actually positions us in a place to properly understand the bigger story that we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. That there's a story being written, not just in history, but over humanity, and you and I were a part of that. 
So praise begins to open up our hearts, begins to unlock that, those realities. And that's the new life that you and I are invited into. It's this lifestyle of worship, a lifestyle of praise. You know, around here, we, we talk a lot about how Christianity, do, Christianity doesn't make a whole lot of sense if we just keep it confined to Sunday morning. Like what we're talking about, our, our, our really good God who invaded our world and to pursue us and to purchase us back and to bring us into right relationship with him. If those things were real, then the implications of those things, those realities, would follow us outside of the building of this, of this church on a Sunday morning. It would follow us into our Mondays and our Tuesdays and our Wednesdays. And so I'm so passionate about people encountering the love of God And I believe a lot of that begins to be unlocked in the place of worship. People beginning to learn to open up their mouths and express love and adoration for the Lord. From the rising of the sun to its setting, he can always be praised, he's always worthy, and he's always present. Praise acknowledges that. It acknowledges those truths beyond your feelings. I believe in 2020, the irrelevant aspects of the church were revealed. All the the fluff and the programming and the things that had no bearing on our day-to-day life, they kind of were burnt away by by crises and by the pandemic. And what it revealed in me was a hunger for things that really mattered, for things that were truly relevant to to, to our life day in and day out, to the, the everyday Christianity that we're contending for. And worship is one of those things that I believe is being revealed in this moment in our generation as a, as a catalyst for this sort of lifestyle Christianity, of everyday Christianity. It's a lifestyle of worship. So praise the Lord, servants of the Lord, praise the Lord, bless him from this time forth forevermore. He's worthy from the, set, from the rising of the sun to the setting. So let's read then verse four. It says, the Lord is high above all nations in his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? It's the greatness of God. As you spend just a few moments praising and exalting God, soon your your eyes will be lifted high to this one who is seated above it all. And I want us this morning, before we begin to unpack the implications of the love of God on our daily life and the inner recesses of our heart, I want us to set our gaze on King Jesus, who is high above everything, all of creation. Everything that is seen and unseen, he seats above it all. He sits above it all. He's high above every nation. He's high above every superpower, every ruler, every earthly authority. He's above every political leader, every governmental structure. His glory is above the heavens, above all obser- everything that's observable, above the entire cosmos. He's above it all. And we have to first see God in the, in the heights of his glory before we can realize our de- desperate position without him. He's far above it all, and we are far below. We see him on the throne. Would you all just close your eyes for a moment and just... Picture God, this one who is far above every current crisis, every current event, all the buzz on social media, all the, the, the Super Bowl tonight. He's far above it all. In fact, he created it all. He, he knew it all. He knows it all currently. 
It's all here because of him and for him. He's above it all. Now picture yourself coming before him seated on the throne, the very throne room of God. It can be a fearful thing. But scripture actually says we, we all will stand before him. You can open your eyes. Every single one of us someday will stand before the very greatness of God and we'll give account. We have a decision whether or not we're gonna clothe, clothe ourselves in Jesus Christ. If that is the case, he'll see his son and daughter. If not, he'll say you're poor, pitiable, and naked. And we'll, we'll stand undone before him. But I want you to think about this. Oftentimes when we think about the greatness of God, the holiness of God, we think about our actions and the things, that, the works that we have done on this planet in our, our short lives, all standing before God. But you know, his holiness goes beyond even our actions. Scripture says that he even knows the intentions of our hearts, which is a fearful thing. I would say oftentimes we don't even know our own intentions of our, of our very heart. But God's holiness goes beyond just actions and our works and actually pierces into the very intentions of our hearts. And so God is wholly other. He's completely different than anyone else, anything else in the universe. He is perfect in every way, both in actions and character, but also in the intentions of his heart. He is perfect and holy. He has done no wrong. The very intentions of his heart and the thoughts of his heart are perfect. This is how Isaiah chapter 55 verse 89 says it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the fearful like holiness and greatness of God. And you may be asking, Drew, I thought we were going to talk about the love of God. Why are we talking about the holiness of God? Well, I don't believe the two are separated. And we always fall short in opening up ourselves truly to the powerful love of God when we, when we separate the holiness of God from the love of God. Because what we need in our hearts, what we need to invade our hearts, is a holy love that can actually bridge the divide of the depths of where we were in the heights in which he sits. And so without that revelation, we always get it wrong. So God's love and his holiness are not in competition. They go hand in hand, and he is fully love, and he is fully holy. He's wholly other, and he is the embodiment and the essence of love. So we need a love that is not seen anywhere else. That's what we need. We need a holy love. We need a perfect love. We don't need a love that you can find somewhere else on this planet in a relationship in a person. We need an unfailing, faithful, holy love to save us. We need a love that can reach far down into the pit and pull us up to heights of glory. So that's why I say, God, give me your holy love. I want it. I want your holy love because I've seen where I've been. And oftentimes I see where I am and I so desire for his love to invade those places. So that's why I tell you this morning, don't shy away from that attribute of God, which is his holiness. He is holy. Without Jesus, his holiness is a fearful thing. 
But because of Jesus, the holiness of God is this unending invitation to know the extravagance of God's love. His holiness points to his ability to transform your life and transform the deepest recesses of your heart. You see, if we don't properly exalt the greatness and the holiness of God, we'll end up serving a God in our own image, that we've, this image that we've made of him. And that's what oftentimes we find in, our, in, in the church, in our own life, is really a God that's just been fashioned in an image that we've made of him. And that's when people get into all sorts of wrong teaching regarding God's perfect love. But he is high above it all. Please, don't mistake that, that reality. He is high above it all, above all the nations, above the heavens. I want us to grapple with that. The vastness, the greatness, the majesty of God. This last November, we got to take a trip to uh, Florida with, with my family. My family of six went to Florida. And it was, it was awesome to be able to, to get away. And there was moments there at the beach that we forgot that there was a pandemic even going on. It was just awesome. But one evening, we, uh, we were very close to this uh, Kennedy Space Center. We got to watch a nighttime launch of the manned SpaceX launch that happened back in November. Um, it was a nighttime launch. And there, sitting on the beach, you know, with my kids, my wife, hearing the, the crashing waves against the beach, and we were about to watch a, a, a space shuttle be launched into outer space, we began to have conversations about the greatness of God. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm sitting near an ocean, or I've been ocean fishing before, like this, the kind of the fearful, like ominous realities of the vastness of the ocean can kind of send shudders down my spine. Just the, the massive size of it. And so we started talking about that with, with our kids. Really, we were sitting at the Atlantic Ocean, which is much smaller than the Pacific Ocean. And there's, there's several other oceans, many of which have not yet fully been discovered. You know, many, you know, there's many aspects of the, or parts of the ocean that have yet to be touched by, by humans or discovered by, by humans. Every year they're discovering new species in the ocean. You know, the deepest part of the ocean could fully submerge uh, Mount Everest, or the tallest point on planet Earth, could be fully submerged in the deepest part of the ocean. That's how deep and vast and huge it is. It's hard to begin to wrap your minds around the vastness of the ocean. But this is what Isaiah chapter 40 says about the vastness of the ocean. 40 verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? That is the greatness and the vastness and the excellence of God. That the, the, the scale and the, the massive size of the ocean is, just fits in the hollow of his hand. So that's where we started our conversation, talking about the ocean. And then we began to put our thoughts and our minds on the implications of what was about to happen right there at the Kennedy Space Center with a, a, a shuttle being launched into space. And if the ocean sends shutters down your spine, you know, Outer space for sure does. Just fearful realities of the, the sheer magnitude and size of the cosmos. Yes, scientists estimate there to be 125 billion galaxies in the universe. And so we begin to talk about 
the, the vastness of what you can see with your eye and tell, you start, start to talk to kids about that. You're like, we're an orb, you know, rotating, rotating around a small to medium-sized star. You know, in the midst of, you know, medium-sized galaxy, pretty well-developed galaxy, the Milky Way, of which, you know, we've never <laughs> ventured out, uh, really even began to touch or explore, know much about. That's just one tiny little speck of a galaxy amongst 125 billion other galaxies in the universe. It kind of brings you to your knees. Psalm 19 verse one says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. He's high above it all. Lord, this morning I pray for a revelation and understanding of your greatness and of your holiness, of your excellence that's completely other there's, nothing, there's no words that can adequately describe. There's nothing that we, compare, we can use to compare you to something else. You are completely other, completely holy. In need of no one. And you didn't create us because you needed us. You're completely self-sufficient, self-reliant, and in need of no one. I pray for an understanding and even just a greater revelation of the holiness and the greatness of who you are, Lord, in your name. So all of that sets the stage for verse 7, where he says this, He raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. It's all of that, a life of praise and an understanding of the holiness and just the set-apartness of God that sets the stage for the powerful, uh, intimate implications of the love of God for our little lives and our, our, the, the most intimate parts of our life. His love is that, that extravagant. He went that deep and he rescued us from the pit and then he didn't just punch our ticket to heaven, and position us on a, a neutral ground for survival. But instead, he positions us in a kingdom, in heights of glory with him. It's who he is. And we're going to be encountering this over the next several weeks, and I'm excited for us to begin opening that door, that, that responding to that invitation to know the love of God in a greater way. Because the implications are huge. It means that there's the holy, the holy love of God means that there's no situation or person that's too far beyond the love of God. There's no aspect of your life that is irrelevant. There's no aspect of your heart or thoughts that you've thought, pondered, that's irrelevant to the love of God. So do you want to grow in a relationship with God? Then press into this. Do you want to burn with more clarity of purpose for your life? Then press into this. To know the love of God. He so graciously transforms us. He transforms us and restores. But you know what? He doesn't just restore what the enemy stole. The good news of Jesus is so good that he restores a hundredfold. He doesn't just take the poor from the dust or the needy from the ash sheep, but he cleans us off, he, he dusts us off, and he brings us to a higher place than we were before. That is the goodness of God. That's the love of God. And this has been a, 
a journey and a revelation that God has been bringing me on over the last number of years as I'm realizing that even as Joshua was saying earlier, the love of God has been chasing me down. He's so good. If I just open up my heart, if, if I just make a choice every day to turn to him and make myself vulnerable and open to him, he's so good. His love is so unlike anything I can experience anywhere else. I've shared my story several times in here and in, in this book I share bits and pieces of it as well. I'm really thankful to have the, the family that I had. I grew up in the church, grew up with parents that loved Jesus, grew up around the things of God. You know, no church is perfect. I think it's important for us all to embrace. There's no perfect church. I had a great church and people that loved God. They, they, sought, to, they sought to live out their faith outside the walls of the building and that impacted me, but it wasn't a perfect church either. My parents raised me in those things, but, but the enemy began to get his foot into our home and my mom began to fall into depression and um, drug abuse, prescription drug abuse, alcoholism, and she got in trouble with the law. She got into abusive relationships. And the brokenness of the world began to be very revealed in our home. And eventually we all have to come to grips with the brokenness within and the brokenness without. For me, it as a young kid, you know, four or five years old, as this was beginning to unravel in our home, the brokenness around was becoming very real. Beginning to realize what a broken, chaotic world we live in. Eventually, when I was turned seven, my mom ended up taking her own life. And the pain, the pain of rejection, the pain of loss, you know, sends a whole family into a tailspin. But through all that, I watched my dad's testimony of faithfulness to the Lord and love for Jesus, and it planted a seed in my heart that there, there must be something to his faith. There must be something to this gospel that he's clinging to. And so I remember praying a prayer with my father, eight or nine years of, of age, to surrender my life to Christ. I remember getting baptized shortly thereafter, getting baptized in water. And that was a significant decision. But that was only the beginning. That was only the beginning to say yes to Jesus. Because I began to realize that his love wasn't just relevant to my eternal destiny, but it was relevant to every aspect of my life. And as I made myself available to him and opened my heart to him, his love began to invade every nook and cranny of my life. And still to this day, I believe that initial encounter with his love just opened the door. Even if it was just a crack, he began to open the door to continual greater encounter with his love. He revealed his love to me to open a door in my life to the endless riches of God's love made available to me. And then I was in, I was in for it. I was in for an adventure, an adventure of purpose and destiny and intimacy with God. So as I began on this journey, I began to realize that God's love meant something for that rejection, that rejection that I felt from my very mother who abandoned me. You know, suicide does wicked things to the people that are left in its, in its tail. All sorts of mind games. And for me, I felt rejected. I felt abandoned by my mom. I thought she was supposed to love me. 
But it was there in the love of God encountering me in my own rejection that I realized he felt rejection himself. And I don't need to cling to those feelings of rejection anymore. In fact, in him, there's a place where I can belong every single time. No matter what other people do to me, no matter who rejects me or abandons me in this world, I can belong in him every single day. I soon began to realize that God's love meant something to my own performance mentality. Growing up in the church, what becomes common is kids learn you know, what gets approved and what's, what's not approved of. And you can begin to learn to go through the motions and to perform to get people's affection and affirmation. And I got to be, to be pretty good at that. And my own spirit of perfectionism became um, revealed before the love of God and his kindness and his tenderness. Began to realize that when I did that, I was stifling the childlike life of gratitude and inheritance that was available to me through, through grace. That in fact, my performance Christianity was an insult to the sacrifice that he paid to purchase me. I soon began to realize that God's love meant something to my own addictions. As we all have certain coping mechanisms that we turn to in this life of brokenness and chaos. And I wasn't removed from that either. So I began to realize that God had delivered me from that slavery to sin, that that's not who I am. That in fact, I can know and walk in freedom. That's available to me as a son of God. I began to realize that God's love meant something for my insecurities. That there's no other love that could satisfy but his love because his, his love is unlike any affirmation or love that I could receive from anybody on the planet. And on and on and on it went was this, it's like an ocean, you know, waves of an, of an ocean just washing over me time and time again. This love of both truth and grace, of both mercy and justice, his love is endless. I began to realize that the space between the pit that he rescued us from and the position he has for us is bigger than I could ever imagine. The space between the pit that he rescued us from and, and the heights in which he positions us are bigger than we could imagine. That's what's unleashed in me, just this life of desiring to know God more and more every single day and be obedient to his purposes upon my life. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come forward because we're gonna respond to the Lord. If you all stand in this place, this message this morning was really just meant to set the stage, set the, the trajectory for the next several weeks. And so more than anything, I'm, I'm giving our church an opportunity to position themselves before the Lord with an open heart to say, God, I believe and I'm open to this reality that your holy love wants to invade me in a greater way in this, in this season ahead. And so I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the love of God this morning. He's taking you on a journey of intimacy, of transformation. And I want to set the stage for that through this prayer that Paul prays over the church in Ephesus and it's scripture. So it's beyond any just earthly prayer that I could pray. These are, these are the Holy Spirit-inspired 
prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter three, and this is what he says. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's the only sort of Christianity that makes sense. And for Paul, that was the case as well. He's praying that you'd be strengthened in your inner being, not just have an outward transformation and start checking the boxes and going to church and and doing the Bible study, but that there would actually be a transformation in your very inner being, the power through his spirit transforming your very inner being. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So that is what unleashes the fullness of God over your life, is this openness to understand the love of God that surpasses knowledge, the breadth and length and height and depth of that love. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. If we would just open up our hearts to him, he's able to exceed anything that you could ever imagine in terms of the the inner work of healing and wholeness and restoration. He wants to do it. The question is whether we're gonna be willing participants in it. The space between the pit he rescued us from and the position he has for us is bigger than you can imagine. So Lord, this morning, we choose to respond to you. In light of your holiness, in light of your greatness, we choose to humble ourselves before you and open ourselves up to the the implications of a good God that would choose to bridge this divide. We'd open ourselves up to this story that speaks a better word over our lives, that actually speaks answers to the brokenness that we experience all around us, to the rejection, to the addictions, to the anxiety and the fear and the insecurities, and the list goes on and on and on. Your rescue story has something to say about it. And it's not trite or superficial. In fact, it's the opposite. It's so deep and penetrating and uprooting. And we choose to respond to you this morning. We want to go on this journey, this adventure with you, fully immersing ourselves in in God's rescue story of love spoken over us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Just like like I did several years ago. There's a point in your life where you just have to make that decision to start the journey. It doesn't mean you're a finished product that moment. In fact, it's the opposite. You're just opening the door for the first time and saying, okay, God, I'm letting you in. And you're surrendering. You finally stop running. You come to the end of yourself. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord in that way. 
If you're here this morning and you need to make that commitment to follow Jesus, you want to surrender your life to, to him as Savior, would you raise your hand? I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. I just want to know who I'm praying for. Is there anybody? So if you raised your hand or even if you didn't pray a prayer like this, and you can pray this prayer, honestly, if you're not ready to pray that prayer right now, you can pray this in your living room, in your bedroom tonight. But the, the important thing is your own heart posture, your own, the own, your own position of your heart before the Lord. Lord, this morning we come to the end of ourself. I'm, I'm declaring before you that I'm, I'm gonna stop running. I can't clean up my life. I can't do anything to present myself as holy before you. Instead, I'm, I'm, I'm undone. I choose to surrender myself to you as Savior and as Lord. From this day forward, no turning back. I invite the love of God to wash over me and make me new. I'm a new creation now in you. Your Holy Spirit comes to live inside of me. I'm starting this journey. Story that I've been grafted into. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's give those that prayed that prayer a huge hand. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.